Um, so today, we've been in uh, the book of Acts for 165 years, I think. But the thing is, the, the book of Acts is just so powerful. I mean, every book in the Every page in the book of Acts is just so rich. But I want to wrap it up over the next couple of weeks. And um, so I'm just going to do a couple chapters uh, today and tomorrow, chapter 20 and 21. There's 28 chapters. We're just not going to get all the way there, but you can. Uh, but we're going to take the next uh, couple of Sundays to kind of do 20 and 21 together. There's a couple themes in there I want to capitalize on. And for those of you here today that don't really know the book of Acts, uh, it's real simple. It's the book in the Bible that, that is right after Jesus rose from the dead, went to heaven, what did his first disciples do after that? And that's what the whole book's about. It was written by a physician named Luke. It was actually his journal. He traveled with a guy named Paul who traveled around the world sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and, and Luke journaled everything. So we're going to jump right into it, okay? There's, um, let me ask you guys a question. Today, I'm going to title this. The theme I extracted out of these two chapters that I'm going to hit on today is what I call from trials uh, to triumph. Um, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever experienced a hardship, a trial, a difficult day in your life? Just raise your hand. Yeah. Okay. I mean, trials are just a part of life. How many of you have ever been under... Uh, I'm going to ask if the lights can go up any higher. I know I talked to the vice principal and asked him if they can make sure this place doesn't go, go completely black. Uh, but um, this might be the best. Okay, there we go. Light B. So uh, how many of you have ever been under the delusion that, let's say you have a relationship that's kind of uh, gone sideways. Or a situation at work that uh, you've got to fix. Or some kind of a trial or a problem. And you think, as soon as I get this worked out then everything's going to be smooth. How many have ever been under that delusion? I have as a pastor. I mean, come on. Or as a father in a family, you think as soon as I get this relationship right, as soon as we fix this in this particular ministry, as soon as this door of opportunity opens up, as soon as this financial issue, man, then we are just going to be smooth sailing. How many of you know that it's a complete, that's complete delusion, right? As soon as you get through one storm, there's another storm waiting for you. I know that's not good news, but I didn't say it. Jesus Christ himself said it. Jesus said in John 16, he said, in this life, you are going to have trouble. I mean, the son of God prophesied that right into our lives. You don't hear too many prophecies like that in church these days, do you? Boy, I got a word of the Lord for you. Woo, man, you got some tough years coming ahead of you. You never hear that kind of prophecy. Because people won't like it and they won't come back. So we got to make sure they're all positive. But in the book of Acts, well, we're going to see some prophecies that are just brutal. But there's a reason behind it. But Jesus said that we're going to have trouble in life. I mean, it should be obvious to you when the first thing you experience in life is a spanking. Right? I mean, you're in this nice little completely safe, protected, totally provided for. You get carried around everywhere you go. You just suck the life out of whatever the mama eats. You just suck it right out of her, right? And she's like constantly eating because she just can't keep. I mean, life is good in the womb. And all of a sudden they like yank you out and go right. I mean, that should, that should be a clue. (laughs) Life's going to be tough. If your goal in life is to avoid suffering, 
you will never be able to fulfill God's purpose for your life. I'm going to say that again. If your goal in life is to avoid suffering, you will never be able to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Many times the way through, the way to God's goals and God's purpose for your life is through hardships. I mean, nobody likes suffering. Even Jesus didn't like suffering. In the Garden of Eden, Jesus prayed this prayer to his father. What? What did I say? Well, he is eternal. It's not like he wasn't there in the Garden of Eden. You better check your theology. And you don't know what I was going to say because I haven't said it yet. I was going to say in the Garden of Eden, he said, light be, because he did create the world. But then, but then, but then he had foresight into another garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And in, the, and in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, prayed this prayer. Father, is there any other way to fulfill your will without having to go through the pain and suffering I'm about to experience? Even Jesus doesn't like suffering. Nobody likes suffering. But many times, the only way to fulfill God's purpose for your life is to go through hardships. But look, family of God, we are to be the most courageous people on the planet because we are not walking alone. We are, and we're not walking with some little rabbit's foot in our pocket that we rub and hope we get good luck. We don't need that crud. We have the living God who slung the universes into existence, walking with us through every flood and through every fire. He is the deliverer. Full of wisdom. Saw it coming before we ever saw it coming. And he says, I've got you. Just stay close to me. We're going to walk right through this. Right? Psalm 23. Though I walk. He doesn't say, though I camp and soak and sour and sink into the valley of the shadow. You just don't see that in the Bible. You see them walking through the fire, through the flood, because that's our God. And you end up on the other side. The difference between one who follows Jesus and one who doesn't isn't, isn't if they go through trials, but rather how they go through trials. That's the difference. We do get delivered from trials where they never happen. We do get delivered right out of the middle of trials. But sometimes you're going to have to go through them all the way to the other side. And guess what's on the other side, according to Psalm 23? What, what's on the other side? Come on, Psalm 23. I know there's some people here who know the Bible, some of you. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, and you prepare for me a banquet table right in the face of my enemies. You don't get the banquet table if you get delivered from or out of. You only get the banquet table if you make it through. That's a great point. Thank you, Mary. (laughs) We all experience trials, but we want to come out on top. Everybody wants to come out on top. Paul made it out on top, which in the book of Acts, that's where we are in Paul's journeys. And he made it out on top with honors. So let's look at him. Let's learn from him how he was able to come out on top. 
First, let's look at some prophecies that are coming his way in the book of Acts chapter 20. He says this, And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying chains and tribulations await me. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, he's going from city to 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 city telling people about the good news of Jesus. And he's saying in every single city I go to, somebody comes up to me and says, the Holy Spirit, give me a word for you. Do you know after about the third city, he's saying, keep it. Just keep that prophecy. Kind of like, you know, this is horrible. That, well, I won't go there. No, I don't know. He's saying, every city I go to, the Holy Spirit tells me, very important point, the Holy Spirit tells me, trouble's coming your way. So then they go to the next city. And he says, finding some disciples, it's like, yay, a new group of believers. Hopefully they will not prophesy any destruction over my life. And he says, we found some new believers. We stayed there seven days, and they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. It's like, I get it. You don't have to keep telling me this. Okay, we go to the next city. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit is the one prophesying to Paul trouble ahead. Suffering, pain, tribulation awaits you in Jerusalem. If that was you getting those prophecies, every city you would go to, what would you do? Not go to Jerusalem. I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? Right? I mean, that's the Holy Spirit obviously said. In fact, one of them, we just read the Holy Spirit. They said to him through the Holy Spirit, do not go to Jerusalem. Seems pretty obvious. It's very important you grab this. Number one, that the Holy Spirit will tell you when there's trouble on the horizon. All prophecies aren't nice and fluffy. Sometimes, you know, they've got guts to them. Secondly, we have to look at Paul's response to these prophecies. These are directional prophecies, where to go and where not to go. And he hears them every time he goes to a city. So out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Don't go to Jerusalem. Pain and suffering is waiting for you there. How does he respond? Acts 21. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when when he would not be persuaded, we ceased and began to say, the will of the Lord be done. This sermon today is not for the weak. It's not for the fearful, it's for the believer, the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to strengthen you, it's to give you protein and to fortify you for life's challenges. Paul 
Now listen, this is so interesting. You would, these people who are prophesying, prophesying, Christians that are being moved on by the Holy Spirit, so important. Listen to this. Prophesying to him pain and sufferings on that road to Jerusalem. And they said, don't go. How could Paul interpret all these prophecies differently than all of those who are prophesying? This is, this is my, this is my, um, this is what I believe. Because pain and suffering was part of the prophecy, these believers concluded it must not be God's will. But Paul did not equate things that were hard as not being God's will. That wasn't in his theology. In fact, listen to this. Jesus Christ himself, when uh, he saved Paul and he told um, Simeon to lay hands on Paul and get him filled with the Holy Spirit, Simeon said, no, 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 Lord, not him. He's been murdering Christians. He's a terrorist. That's what Paul was. He terrorized the church and murdered Christians in every city before he got saved. And Jesus said to Simeon, it's Simeon, right? Okay, his name was, well, you can't go like this if you don't know the answer. Don't do this while I preach and don't have the right answer. You just go like this. Simon, Simeon, does it really matter? Ananias, he was there too. Here's what Jesus said to to Ananias. He said, I have already shown Paul the things he must suffer for my namesake. So when Paul heard prophecies of suffering, he didn't say, oh, it must be the Lord's will for me not to go there. He said, this is so important. This is one of my points we'll get to and we'll unwrap this in a few minutes. Paul interpreted, did not interpret the prophecies of pain and suffering as therefore don't go there. He interpreted them as preparation for what's coming. So I'll give you an example from our own life. For some reason, the Lord has been so gracious to my wife to give her dreams, constant dreams and words about things that are about to happen in the near future. That's why people like to saddle up next to her so they can find out stuff about their life. They've actually had people said to my wife, would you dream a dream for me? Okay. okay. That's called sorcery and fortune telling, and we're not going to go there. God gives dreams when God gives dreams. <laughs> but he gives her all these sorts of dreams about times and seasons and names and places. So, as you know, my wife just went through cancer. She actually woke up this morning not feeling well and and uh, so she's not here this morning. She hates not being here. She does not like being controlled by these things. She's a fighter. But um, she just she starts her Ph.D. program in the morning. Would you please pray for my wife? She's coming through cancer. Uh, she had a mastectomy. Her hair is starting to grow back. It's wild and curly and springy and bouncy. She doesn't know what to do with it. And she's getting her strength back. She's going back into her Ph.D. program in the morning. But she's not 100%. So, church, please pray for your pastor's wife. Please pray for our family because we are getting our strength back and we're moving forward, but we need your prayers. So the day before she had a diagnosis of breast cancer, the Lord spoke to her this word, plan for longevity. 
The same day he spoke to me in my prayer time and he said, feed your soul because the journey is long. Neither one of us knew what the heck that was until the next day she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And now it's been about a year. And we've been through the hardest year of our lives. But we're better people for it. And she's still alive. And we're moving on. Amen? So, the Lord did not say anything other than prepare yourself. We're going to go through a valley. We're going to go through a valley. I don't like that. I like casting mountains into the sea. That's what I like to do. I like to cast out demons. I like to cast things into the sea that that i don't like that are uncomfortable sometimes you have to go through now here's some biblical precedent for that jesus comes to peter and says satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat but i smacked him in the mouth so that's not going to happen is that what the bible says is that what jesus said to him he said satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat but i've prayed for you that your faith won't fail in other words you're gonna have to go through this peter But I, the Son of God, am praying for you that your faith won't fail. And then he says, and when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. Meaning Jesus knew he was going to falter. When you return to me, you're going to go through this, Peter. I'm not going to stop it. You've got to go through this, this battle, this fight. And you're going to waver. You're going to falter. But you're going to come back to me. And when you do, you're going to be an incredible encouragement to the body of Christ. This is all Bible, by the way. See, Paul had a greater purpose than the pain. Paul was not focused on the pain, but on his purpose. He was not concerned about his comfort, but his calling. Could you imagine an Olympic athlete getting up at 5.30 in the morning or 4.30 or 3.30, whatever time they get up, and they go to run or they go to work out, whatever, and at one point they say, ah, this is too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. They just don't do that. I mean, how do they endure? Have you ever have you ever seen a documentary on what Olympic athletes go through in preparation? Have you ever seen the pain and suffering they put themselves through? Why would they do that? You answer me. Why would they do that? For the gold, man. For the gold. They have a goal. They have a goal. They have a purpose that is greater than the pain that they self-inflict. I had somebody one time when we first started the church. He's not in the church anymore, so I can say this. I can throw him under the bus. He was in the worship band. Josh, you'll appreciate this. And he says, well, as soon as this stops being fun, I'm out. And I wish I was the pastor then that I am now, because then I just kind of like thought, that's like one of the dumbest things I've ever heard, but I'm not going to say that to him because he might leave the church. But what I found is they leave anyway, so I might as well go ahead and say it. So this is what I would have said. Yeah, that sounds right. In fact, I remember hearing Jesus once say that. As soon as hanging on the cross isn't fun anymore, I'm coming down. I, I, I think I remember hearing the Apostle Paul say that. As soon as they hit me in the head one more time with a rock, it's just not fun anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. That's just foolishness. Could you imagine going into boot camp, like in the military, Chris, Fox? Can you imagine? Boot camp, did they say this to you? You're going to have so much fun, man. Boot camp is going to be so much fun. And wait till you get into battle. 
We're going to have a good time. Wow, man. You got so much fun out there. It's going to be great. We're going to be high-fiving each other on the battlefield. Man, it's just going to be the best time of your life. That's just silly, right? Well, we are in a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. You have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he hates your guts, and he wants to break up your marriage, break up your family, get your kids off track, and take people to hell with him. So when you stand up and say, I have decided to follow Jesus, the devil says, oh, really? And the fight is on. And he will throw everything but the, and, and the kitchen sink at you. But here's the thing. We don't have to fear because the Holy Spirit prepares us, shows us things to come, and powers us to beat the devil's brains out. But sometimes you're going to have to beat him for a while. Like all the way through the valley of the shadow of death. Just keep pounding them. Until you get to the other side. And then you get to eat a big old banquet right in his face. That's called a testimony. A testimony is a big stick that you can go around and beat him over the head with everywhere you go. Let me tell you about what Satan did. But let me tell you about what Jesus did. And everybody goes, woohoo! That's what happened last Sunday here when Renee Murdoch, our missionary to Brazil, stood up here. One percent chance of surviving. If she did, she'd be a vegetable. But she stood right in front of us last Sunday saying, Jesus is more powerful than the devil. That's called a testimony. But you don't get that if you don't go through the valley of the shadow of death. Look at Paul, how, how Paul responded to this other group that was telling him about the suffering he was going to go through. This is really important. In Acts chapter 20, 24, he says to this group that was prophesying pain. He says, but none of these things move me. That word move there is where the word we get kinetic, kinetic from. Where there's like a catalyst that, let's say there's a train going on the tracks real fast. And then something hits it on the side. Maybe a, a car or something, something that collides with it. Trying to, and like knocks it off the track or something. That, that's, what, that's what this word means. It's to move something or to, to, uh, to, uh, to remove something from its position. That's what this, to move. It also is where we get cinema from. Where, how many of you love going to the movies? Come on. I know they're all G or PG at most. I know. Raise your hands in church. You like going to the movies, right? Because they move you, right? They make you laugh. They make you cry. They move. That's where this word comes from. And Paul says, none of these prophecies of pain and suffering move me. They will not move me off the track that the Lord has me on. Isn't that powerful? None of these prophecies move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. So that, everybody say, so that. that. See, none of these things move me. Oh, okay, you can do that too. Here we go. None of these things move me. Oh, you ready for this? And I don't count my life dear. Oh, yes, you do. And that's where the big problem comes in when we walk with the Lord. Jesus said, unless you hate your life, you can't follow me. What? What? Seriously? Yeah, he says you've got to hate your mom and dad too. Now, that's what it says in the old King James. But what he really means is this. When it comes down to whether you want to do your will or my will, if you have not already decided that my will is the will that you're going to choose, you're not going to be able to make it. When you, when you know what my will is for your life and your parents want you to go that direction and yet I told you to go this direction, unless you honor me over your mother and father, which by the way, I've already given you a commandment to honor your mother and father, but 
when, it, when the rubber meets the road, well, I'm telling you, like Hope, who had a full-ride scholarship to any university in the nation, and yet the Lord told her to go to, 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 to ignore the scholarship and go to missionary school and go to the Philippines to be a missionary, her dad didn't like that. Miss Brenda back here, she was like, the will of the Lord be done. Right, Miss Brenda? None of these things move me. So that I may finish my race with joy. See, his purpose was to finish his race. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Okay, this little scripture right there is packed with some amazing stuff. And I want us to go through a few points very quickly on how Paul was able to say, none of these things move me. I'm going to finish my race. I'm going to finish my ministry testifying to the grace of the Lord. Let's look at these real quick, and this is for you. I see three goals that Paul had in this passage that enabled him to go from trials to triumph. And that's my passion for you this morning. That's why I'm teaching this, is so that you can go from trials to triumph. Because trials are going to come for the rest of your life. You're not going to be able to avoid many of them. But I want to see you go from trials to triumph. Number one, I can go from trials to triumph if my goals are to finish my race. What does he mean by that? The race of the Christian is to follow Jesus to the last breath you breathe on the planet and then see him face to face. And you are going to have all sorts of missiles thrown at you from the enemy to get you to stop following Jesus. If you surround yourself with friends who aren't Christians, there's no way you're going to get encouragement to serve the Lord. They don't even know him. They're not walking with them. If you're gaining your wisdom from peers that are not Christians, you are getting ungodly counsel. And there will be worldly rationalization that will fill your mind. And all of a sudden, you'll start thinking like the world, and yet you're a Christian. Get into college, and there's going to be worldly philosophy saying that creation isn't true. Well, that's because you want to eliminate God from the equation. And you're going to get pummeled with with uh, anti-biblical information, and many of your peers and your professors are going to be giving you persuasive arguments against God. And you are going to have to have already decided, I am following Jesus no matter what. And whatever I hear from the news, from the media, from professors, from parents, from teachers, from any source that is not coming from the same viewpoint is Jesus Christ, you line it up and you say, no, that's not the Bible. That's not Jesus. It's not true. You have to already make that decision or you're going to get knocked off course. Temptations, trials, lust, greed, pride, all these things is what Sozo ministry will take care of for you. Just go see Dr. Rick. He'll introduce you to the Holy Spirit and all these, all these things on the inside of our souls that are roadblocks to following Jesus get uncovered and light is shown on them. It's a battle. But Paul says, I have already decided I'm going to finish my race. He had already drawn a line in the sand, was willing to follow Jesus even to death. The death of friendships, the death of relationships, the death of your reputation, the death of your dream. I get annoyed with this concept of of dreams, God fulfilling my dream. I don't want to dream my dreams. I want to fulfill his dreams. 
I didn't become a Christian so that Jesus then would become my servant and fulfill my dreams. I, I, got, I, I got sick of myself. I want to serve him. What is your dream, Jesus? The salvation of the world, the healing of the sick, the deliverance of those who are bound. Yeah, I want to do that. Let's do that. I got one amen. Amen. I have found that uh, over the years of pastoring that the people who are the most successful Christians, and I mean this, I've done this through observation, the most successful Christians aren't the ones who have a spontaneous experience in a worship service and give their life to Jesus, though those are dramatic and impactful. The ones I have found the most successful are the ones who heard the gospel and considered it, thought about it. I remember this one gal who was in my my college group, and she just caught on fire. And I asked her one day, I said, why are you so on fire for Jesus? And she said, I heard you preach about heaven and hell. I heard you preach about following Jesus. I heard a sermon like this. And she said, I went home for three days and thought about it and decided whether or not I had what it took to follow Jesus all the way. And I decided to follow him all the way. Line drawn, crossed it, done. That is the only way to truly follow Jesus Christ successfully, is making that decision. Jesus said it himself. He said, what king with 10,000 will go out to battle with a king with 20,000 without sitting down first and deciding whether with his 10,000 he can beat the 20,000? He said, without you doing that, you're going to get into the middle of the battle, get overwhelmed, and make a, uh, a peace treaty with the enemy. And then he said... Unless you decide you're going to fake, forsake all and follow me, you can't be my disciple. He didn't say, I won't receive you. He said, you're not going to make it. Because the enemy is going to be throwing things at you all the time. You have already got to make the decision. I'm following Jesus, whether the hair lips Georgia or not. That's a southern term. You don't know what that means. That means you're going to go. You are going to follow Jesus, whether none go with me. I'm going to follow him. Period. Done. End of discussion. Can't talk me out of it. What are you having for lunch? That's what Paul did. First, fulfill his calling. Second, he says, I'm going to fulfill his race. Finish his race. That's the first thing he said. I, I don't care about the pain. If, it's the only, if I have to go through pain to finish my race, I'm going to. Secondly, he said, fulfill my calling, which was to testify of God's grace. And Paul's passion was to fulfill his calling. And in his case, it was to be a witness for Christ in Jerusalem, which was the epicenter of the religious world. This is with his childhood friends. He grew up. With his Jewish buddies, they, they went to the temple together. I mean, they know each other. Paul was a leading Jew in Jerusalem. He was one of the, he was one of the uh, elite in Jerusalem. He wants to go back there to tell them about Jesus. He doesn't care if they persecute me, whip me, bind me, stone me. I've got to tell my brothers and sisters about Jesus. He was unmoved by what was what was coming his way. And, and then he wanted to go to Rome, which is the epicenter of the political arena, the emperor of the most dominant uh, regime in the world. He wants to preach to Caesar. He doesn't care if it costs him his life. Is your goal in life to fulfill your calling? Are you ready to do whatever it takes, whatever it costs to share the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ 
with those around you. Because I'll show you in a minute that the end of the game, the end of the race, are rewards. Jesus is waiting at the end of the race. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He's with you. And he wants you to be an uncompromised, unmoved, immovable disciple of his on earth. Telling everybody you can about Jesus. So they have a chance of escaping hell and going to heaven. And when you get to heaven, the rewards will be waiting for you. So what are you living for? Rewards on this side where everybody thinks you're wonderful? Or giving in to sin and, and, and pleasure that's temporary? Or are you living for Jesus looking at you on that day and saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Man, you went through some crud. Wow. But you're faithful. You're faithful to me. Oh, man. Oh, man. And thirdly, and this is not a biggie. This is the biggie. And I'm going to close with this point here. This is huge. It's not only to finish his race, not only to fulfill his calling, but to be conformed to the image of his Savior. You may not realize this, but God's main purpose for your life is for you to be changed day by day into the image of the Son of God. I was driving to Sam and Lily are now going to middle school. And it's the first day of school this Monday. And I'm driving them into middle school. Middle school is a war, war zone. You know that, right? I mean, there, there, there's nothing pretty about middle school. All these hormones are, you know, exploding in these kids' bodies, and the girls are kind of catty, right? And it's like all these, you know, trying to one-up with a fashion, and, 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 and the guys are all trying to act cool, but their voice is squeaking and, you know, going deep. Hi, deep. Hi. It's just, uh, just a weird time, right? And so, and, and they're Christians going into the public school system, and I want them to be the lights of the world. I want them to be solid and... And so I'm driving, I'm thinking, you know, what can I ask them? What, what kind of conversation can I have before I kick them with the curb out into the war zone? And I said this, Lily, Sam, what would you say is God's primary purpose for your life? That's a pretty big question for 12-year-olds, right? But I want them to wait till they're 25 or 28 or 30 to figure it out. I want them to know right now. And Sam didn't miss a beat. To have fun! like a total failure as a father well you know that's funny but the problem is most of us think it's the same way we think we think the kingdom of god is a cruise ship when actually it's a battleship we want to be entertained rather than being missional and turning the world upside down like these guys did that was their reputation everywhere we go in the marketplace and the media music entertainment education government family commerce we're the lights of the world. We have the wisdom of God. Don't cave in. Don't compromise. Don't give up your integrity. You lose your light in a dark world. That's some good preaching right there. God's goal is to make you, listen to this, God's goal is to make you look like his son. A son and a daughter God. And that doesn't happen just because you wake up in the morning and decide that you want to be like Jesus. You can't microwave it. You're going to have to go through some tough stuff. 
That's like one of the most famous verses of all time in the Bible. This is, this is our amen corner right here. This is our hallelujah verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Okay, now, let me ask you, what do you think that means? Just throw out some stuff. God works all things for good to those who love him. What does he mean all things? Good. Okay, great. What does it mean? What does it mean for the good? And what does that look like? Yeah, it ends up. Oh, yeah, it's a win-win for sure. It's a well, it's a win-win and, a, and lose for the devil. But I believe, if I can just be honest with you, when we have looked at this verse over all these years, we say. Working out for the good means that my external circumstances, no matter what happens, is going to end up working out for our good. Even if it's the death of a loved one, people get saved at funerals. So this tragedy has worked out for good for this person's salvation here. Or you go through a trial and it works out for good because I'm eating at a banquet table in front of, in front of my enemies, which means I get promoted when the jerk that was, was defaming me to my boss gets found out and the tables get turned and I end up getting promoted. God works all things out for the good to those who love him and called according to his purpose. I believe all of that. I love it when things work out for me. I like it and I pray for it. I pray for my wife, my kids, for you guys. I love it when circumstances change. But I don't believe that's the primary application of this verse because we have to read the next verse, which we never do. Ready? For, that means for, whenever you see a for or therefore, you have to see what you're there for. In other words, this is a conjunction that connects the last scripture. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, the good that God works out of suffering and trials is he's shaping you to be more like Jesus. And that's the ultimate good. I know this isn't a happy amen sermon. I don't like it either. But it's true. And if you will commit to recognizing trials and suffering, tribulation, persecution, defamation of your character, being betrayed, misused, injustices, sickness, all that kind of stuff. All these trials in life, if you, if you decide that your goal is to finish your race, fulfill your call, testify to the grace of God, you're going to find yourself going from trials to triumph. Because that's your goal, is the triumph, not the trial. So I'm going to close with this. God's, God is way more interested in what happens in you than what happens around you. So I'm going to close with three reasons why becoming like Jesus is so important. Because so I'll tell you, one day, um, Kobe, one day I was sitting, I was, how old are you? 26. I was about 24. I was about your age. And I, I was, I was tired of, I was tired of just all the pain and suffering that goes with walking with Jesus. Wham, wham. And I was sitting there thinking, this, this is, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't worth it. And I was sitting on my couch in my one bedroom apartment thinking, I'm going to walk away from God. I was actually contemplating this. And then my mind caught up with me and I thought, wait a minute. If I walk away from him, I'll lose, I'll, I'll lose the little bit of peace I have left. And I'm going to end up coming back anyway, so I'm just not going to go. 
Thank God I had that, that moment of clarity. But then I asked the Lord, I said, what is the purpose of all this trials and this suffering? I mean, you can deliver me from all of these things. And he told me to go to Philippians chapter 2. And I was reading Philippians chapter 2 where it said that Jesus was obedient to God, even to the point of death. And, uh, and I said, and I said, what's the, why? Why go through the suffering like him? And he said, so that you could become like my son. And I was honest with him. I said, so what? Now, maybe some of you are looking at me like, right now like a cow at a new gate. You don't know whether you ought to go through that or not. Look, you think these things, I just say them. It's not like when you say the things that you're thinking, it's when God found out about them. He said to me, so you can be like my son. And I said, so what? What's the big deal about being like Jesus? Verse 12 and that, that whole passage of Jesus coming down, suffering the death of the cross, being highly exalted. It says, to the glory of God the Father. And that's the first point of why it's so important to become like Jesus. It glorifies God. And that became the whole purpose and passion of my life. When you shine, God shines. That's why I tell this band up here, don't you play better in a bar, Jerry, don't you play better at the House of Blues and you play at the Gathering Place Church. Don't you dare give us wimpy worship. Because when you shine and you use your talents for God, you use your wealth for God, you use your preaching ability for God, you use your love ability for God, your servant ability for God, when you shine bright, don't know this false humility, you know, get your guitar, Eric, and go, nee, 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 nee. Uh, uh. it's not, you know, people say, wow, that was wonderful. You say, oh, no, it's all God. Well, it wasn't that good. No, man, you bust that guitar out, those vocals out, your writing ability out, your preaching ability, your loving ability, your leading ability, your serving ability. Give God everything you've got. Give him your best when you're out there shining. You glorify God because he made you in his image. Just don't take the credit. Just give it back to him. Well, that was for somebody. That was worth something right there. It glorifies God. But here, here's, the main, here's the main way God gets glorified. I've got to wrap this up quickly. Here's why God gets so glorified when through pressure like gold in the fire and all the impurities come to the top and they scoop them off until you're just like this perfect, perfect piece of gold through the fire. The reason God gets glorified the more you become like Jesus is because nobody can believe it. When God can take someone like you and cause you to look and behave like Jesus, everybody knows it's a miracle. Everybody knows it's a miracle. Especially those that are closest to you, right? My dad was an atheist. And one day he said, came to me and said, I cannot be an atheist anymore with integrity because of your sister. The way she has changed proves to me that there's a God. Whoa, that's pretty good, isn't it? 
God gets glorified. Secondly, why is it so important to become like Jesus? It blesses others. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather your boss be your boss or Jesus be your boss? Would you rather your, your in-laws be your in-laws or Jesus be your in-laws? Right? Would you rather Jesus be your spouse or your spouse be your spouse? Be honest. I know they're sitting right next to you. Wait, don't answer that one. Nah. Marriage seminar coming up. But what if your boss, your in-laws, your spouse, your parents were just like Jesus? Then it wouldn't matter. I know some people that are so much like Jesus, I just love being around them. They're so gracious, so loving, so forgiving. It's just that I just love them. They're so encouraging. I love being around them. You see, the more you become like Jesus, the more it blesses others. So it glorifies God. It blesses others. And guess who else it blesses? It blesses you because you're not such a knucklehead. You got, you all know as well as I do. You look in the mirror and you just go, I say and do some of the dumbest things. I just look at myself going, what's the matter with you? The more you become like Jesus, look, the more you become like Christ, the less fearful you are, the less stressful you are, the less moody you are, the less judging you are, the more loving, the more joyful, the wiser, the stronger. I mean, who doesn't want that? And here's what God says. I'm going to close with these things. This is my third close. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You see, Satan wants to use trials to break you. God wants to use them to make you. But you can't run from them. You can't blame other people. He's got to buckle down, grab a hold of Jesus and say, let's go. And you will become more like Christ on the other side of the trial if you will do that. I've seen my wife change dramatically in the last year. It's so beautiful. I've seen myself change. I'm responding to people more like Jesus than I did a year ago, and it shocks me because I know me. I know the way I would have responded a year ago. And I'm responding differently to situations and people. And I realize the only thing that did this was the suffering with Jesus in the suffering. Not just the suffering. Jesus in the suffering. It's changed me. Okay, so the end of it is you get rewarded if you will go through. Look what Paul says. Now, dear brothers and sisters, I, have no, I haven't achieved it. This is the middle of his life. I haven't achieved becoming like Christ. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us upward. So that was his goal halfway through his life. Let's look if he actually did it. Here's a scripture from the end of his life. For I am already ready being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. In other words, I'm going to die. I'm going to heaven. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Finally. There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. You see, how did Paul know about the crown of righteousness? Jesus showed it to him. 
Paul got caught up to the third heavens. He saw heaven. He saw the judgment seat where we're going to get rewards for following him. He saw the great white throne judgment where people who did not receive Jesus Christ end up in eternity separated from God. He saw the four-headed beasts. He saw the heavenly Jerusalem. He saw it all. Then he came back down to the earth. And he says, I have kept the faith. Nobody talked me out of following Jesus. I've made it through my trials. I did not throw in the towel. I made it all the way. I told people about the love of God. Even when they defamed me and rejected me and forsook me, beat me, I didn't stop. And now there's a crown of righteousness, an actual crown that Jesus is going to put on my head when I see him. See ya! And he says, oh, by the way, there's a crown for you too if you'll run your race and you finish it. Some of you have gone through some really hard things and you haven't recovered from them yet. Let the pain produce Christ in you. Some of you are going through hard, confusing things right now. And they are just trying to beat your brains out. You need to do what Pastor Wilhite says. Well, thank you, devil. You're making me praise God today. (laughs) Well, thank you, devil. You're helping me become more like Jesus. Take your eyes off the pain and put it on your purpose. You're becoming more like Christ.